So, are you DTFF? Once again, here is Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football with your hosts, Dustin Lunt and Jake Trowbridge. Welcome back to DTFF, folks. Happy Tuesday evening if you're joining us live. Uh, we have got a great show for you this evening. A very special guest jumping in last minute like a goddamn superhero and, and here to cut it up with us this evening. Uh, before we introduce our, ho- our, our, our our guest, I should say, I should introduce my co-host with the most, Jake Trowbridge. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing good. I think that was a Freudian slip when you almost introduced our guest as our host because I think you secretly want him to be the co-host, and I'm I, trying not to take offense to it. Oh, I, I would never do that. As I was saying uh, pre-show here, um, uh, as I'm on spring break and not working this week, I've been drinking mimosas for a good chunk of the day, so uh, hence my words might not come out how they're supposed to. That's so. when the truth comes out, Dustin, is when you're about 10 <laughs> mimosas in. So can't hide it. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we'll be an interesting show then. Uh, <laughs> but as I said, we have a very uh, special guest joining us, uh, Chase Vernon. Chase, welcome back to the show, my friend. Been a while. It's been a minute, dude. I missed you guys. I mean, I'm pretty sure the last time that I was on the show, there's a there's a chance I blacked out after all the the shots we were doing. I don't remember <laughs> what the reason the shots were, but we just did a lot of shots. And we had a really good time, and and I'm looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. On this show, we don't need reasons to do shots, Chase. We just do shots sometimes. Yeah, sometimes we do it. I'm pretty sure that also occurred, but I think some bets were involved. I, I wish that I, I could have rolled back the tape, but unfortunately, I was limited on, on the amount of time of preparation I had. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna do this right, and I, I want to make some bets and take some shots for absolutely no reasons again. Ooh, I like, I like that. Before the end of this episode, we will have at least one in the bank here for bets. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, we've got a, a really good show. We are going back and looking back at the 2021 rookies from last season and not really talking about the big name guys. We'll, we'll probably touch on them briefly, let's be honest. But what we really want to focus on this evening are some of the guys we thought were going to hit that didn't, or maybe some guys that eh, they showed us a little something. Do we think they're going to you know, take that next step and become someone you can use on a regular basis for your fantasy team. So should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the great conversation here. Um, but first, what are we all drinking? Let's start with our guest, Chase. All right. So, of course, I have the finest, the finest, a uh, PBR. Perhaps nice. Living, right? Oh, it, it's delicious. And then I actually have some uh, plantation pineapple rum. It's Ooh. actually made from the sugars of pineapple instead of just sugar cane. So it's not like, you know, you're drinking just, just flavored rum that, that you see on like a Bacardi bottle. This is actually pineapple based rum and it is absolutely delicious. It's Stiggins Plantation. Good. Oh, it's so good. I, I actually want to go back to the first thing. So PBR, is this, <laughs> is this French? Is that right? Pabst, I think, is French, right? I believe so. It sounds about right. I mean, if it's not French, it it probably comes out of the four squares. So, you know. (laughs) How appropriate that you just pop on the show here and you're drinking a a good Wisconsin-based beer, you know, representing (laughs) the Midwest. I love it. (laughs) Delicious, delicious. Yeah. Uh, Jake, do you want to tell the folks what we're drinking this evening? Well, you dropped this off on my patio just a few moments ago, and I was very pleased. Uh, you rolled your eyes. I'm just telling the people that you supplied the beer this time. You should be happy that I'm giving you these kudos, um, unless the beer is bad, in which case I'm going to blame you for it. Uh, but Fair this enough. is a, a Bell's No Yeah 
easy drinking golden ale. No, yeah, is a phrase that you probably don't know about if you're not Midwestern. Mm-hmm. This is fair. Chase, when I say, when I say, no, yeah, do you know what that means? Do you understand the context there? Well, I know I have a coworker who says, yeah, no, as soon as she realizes what she's saying, yeah, to. So, I mean, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind, but I don't know exactly what that means outside of the fact that you weren't listening and then all of a sudden you agree. That's about it. Yeah, no, you, I mean, you basically yeah, nailed no. it. This is yeah, the no. first. Yeah, that's exactly my <laughs> coworker. You just nailed it. You just nailed it, Jake. That's exactly what you I swear that wasn't even intentional. Uh, it's the inverse, though. No, yeah, it's the exact same type of thing. Like, you know, you're listening to something and you're waiting to agree. So it's the exact opposite. You're actually paying attention and you want to agree, but you got to get that little, you don't want to come on too strong out of the gate. So it's that little bit, that jab before the hook that, no, yeah, you know, as opposed to, yeah, no. So you so see, it's kind of like something that, that you tell your wife to, to make it think like you're listening. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> But Dustin, this is a good beer, I will say. I've had a few drinks, so I can't lambast you for it. This is a solid beer. Yeah, yeah. Out of Bells, out of Michigan. We love Bells Brewing around here. Lots of quality beers. This is another one of them. So thank you, Bells, for uh, for providing another terrific, delicious beer this evening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, I, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are, <laughs> I'm switching it up. I'm trying to get every iteration out on the table. We just haven't gotten to know yet, so, you know. So <laughs> It will happen before the end of the show, I promise. <laughs> well, hey, I don't want to I don't want to piss away too much time here up top because we have so many good rookies to get to. I don't want us to shortchange them. But before we do, you think maybe we could get into our favorite segment? Yeah, let's hit up our drunk trade of the week. Drunk, 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 hammer, drunk, 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 trade of the week. So this week's drunk trade comes from at Dynasty FB fan on Twitter, who just as a precursor to this, rated himself as a six out of ten on the drunk scale when this trade actually went down. I want you to keep in mind the date on this. This happened March 14th, so a couple of weeks back here. Traded, honestly, I still haven't gotten a clear answer from this person, so I don't know if they're embarrassed, but one way or the other, the sides of the trade are as such. One side got Mitch Trubisky. The other side got rookie picks 205 and the 312, plus, very important here, $1 of fab. Uh, this, this is presumed to be a super flex dynasty league. Mitch Trubisky now, of course, the presumed starter in Pittsburgh. So, gentlemen, before I read uh, another funny comment from somebody else who saw this trade, I want to get your opinions on this. Chase, we'll start with you. Rates himself 6 out of 10 on the drunk scale. Do you think that adds up for this kind of trade that we're talking about? So what I'm thinking happened, right, was somebody ended up sending, you know, obviously somebody had to initiate the trade, right? And so that person ended up countering and saying, hey, like, you know, this isn't enough, right? And so they decided to say, hey, I'll throw in a dollar and see if he goes for it. He was so hammered, he didn't even realize the initial offer, the initial trade, right? He just saw a counter with the same thing in with an additional dollar in, but he didn't even realize what he sent in the first place. So he's like, oh, I'm getting more than what I got last time, so I'm going to accept it, right? So so that's where I'm coming off. But, I mean, honestly, like— I buy the logic. But, you know, like, dude, I'm getting more than what I got the last time. Like, this is definitely a better counter than, than you know, what I sent him. I'm taking it. So— 
you know, Mitch Trubisky is somebody that, that I believe in. I think that he's going to be a decent quarterback in this league. I hated the system that he was set up in. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's immaculate. But could he be a starter at a Ryan Tannehill-type level? I think that he, he could be. Um, you know, you have the rushing upside, obviously, and now he could end up having that, that same upside in a good offense with a Matt Canada-led off or Matt Canada-led system to where he needs a rushing quarterback in order to obtain success. Obtain success excuse me. So I think that Mitch Trubisky, as long as they get the ball out of his hands quickly and they don't ask him to make complicated reads, he can gain his confidence and become a starter. And for that reason, I mean, sending a you know two draft picks away for that, I mean, or accepting you know if you're the receiving end of that, I'd much rather go with the the starting quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, if Big Ben could make it work, you know, I feel like Mitch Trubisky, it's if Big Ben threw the ball like 0.5 seconds after getting the snap every time last year. So really, that's all Mitch Trubisky has to do. Dustin, do you think that you do you have a strong preference, Dustin, to one side of the straight or the other? Yeah, I I agree with Chase here. Uh, Mitch Trubisky all the way, especially in the Superflex League, you're going to get at worst, what, a mid-range QB2 out of this. Uh, for basically dart throws and that $1 a fab, um, <laughs> which I, I know can be important come the end of the season. I get that. Uh, but really, I mean, you're getting a starting quarterback. I, I like, um, you know, the offense. They've got so many weapons there uh, with the wide receivers. The re- they got a solid running game. They've worked at upgrading their offensive line this offseason, which I still think they're probably going to um, address a little bit in the draft here. So, yeah, I think that uh, it's it's wheels up for Trubisky. I I, I mean, I, I can't say um, that this was a bad trade at all for the person yeah. receiving Trubisky. Right now, here's what I want to do: the throwback to. I want to I want us all to pile into our DeLorean for just a split second because when this trade happened, Mitch Trubisky had not yet been signed by the Steelers. There were some assumptions going around that he could land a starting gig somewhere. So this was just, I think, three days before he officially signed with the Steelers. So at that point, let's take the Steelers off the board. And we're in, we're still in free agency mode. Does this change your opinion of the trade significantly? I know it's hard because we know where he ended up now, but we didn't know back then. Would you have a strong preference then? No, because there's a chance he could have landed up with the Giants and competed for a starting job with Brian Dable. And I would have liked that even more than I would have liked uh, going to Pittsburgh, to be honest, just because I think that he knows the system that would tailor to success. Not saying they can't be successful with Steelers, because obviously we already covered that. But uh, I think that we could have seen him with possibly the Saints mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe even, I don't know, Carolina. I might have liked more than the Steelers. So, I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we don't know he could have ended up going into a terrible team. But, I mean, honestly, the Steelers were almost... I'm not going to say worst case scenario, but the Steelers were a pretty good option outside of him landing as a backup somewhere. You know, and and I don't see too many teams that, that would have signed him or that he would have signed with outside of the Giants to where he would have had to compete for a starting job. Mm-hmm. Outside of with a rookie, by the way. Fair. Yeah. Fair. All right. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say you're both underestimating that dollar of fab. That dollar of fab could turn into literally anything. And you don't know for sure. That yeah. could pick up the There's, next Alvin Kamara off of waivers. All right. True story. Or so. Mitchell Trubisky. Or the next Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> or a boat. So who's to say, really, what you could get with that dollar? Uh, not us. I'm confident. <laughs> All right, Dustin, do you want to lead us into some rookie talk here? Yeah, let's do it. So as I said at the top, we're we're not going to really talk about, you know, Jamar Chase, Najee Harris too much, Kyle Pitts. Like, like we know these guys are studs, even if they didn't, you know, in the case of Kyle Pitts, didn't quite produce at the level we were thinking he was going to this last season. 
pretty well a sure thing at this point that, you know, we saw enough out of him that, yeah, we're, we're confident he's going to be a stud. So we're not going to talk about it. I want to talk about guys that did not produce in, in what we think their fantasy outlook is moving forward. So um, let's start with the quarterbacks because they are the most fun to talk about. And let's talk about the second coming himself, Trevor Lawrence. What's to say about the Jags last year? I mean, that was just the hot steaming pile of of dung of an organization. Um, they got rid of Urban Meyer. Thankfully, that experiment didn't last too long. They brought in a better coach. They um, um, they brought in um, some wide receivers. And you guys are yeah. laughing at me. I can't help it. You're, you're distracting me at the chat. <laughs> Look, listener, I'm sorry. We don't always utilize the private chat because, like, when it's just me and Dustin, although I should do that more when it's just me and Dustin, you I should. Think it'd be fun to fuck with you that way. Uh, but when we have a guest on, sometimes it's fun to have side games. And Chase is nothing if not a side gamer, I think. So just want to provide context <laughs> of why Dustin's so distracted right I'm now. I'm so flustered right now. <laughs> so, anyway. I'm so sorry. I'll stop. No, no, that's fine. Now, now I, I just have to ignore the little pop up there because um, usually it's only for emergencies. So uh, now I know. Um, so I'll try to. Are get this you, are you saying I there. pulled the the fire alarm, Dustin? Is that what you're saying? I pulled the fire alarm. Yeah, I thought for sure it was going to be something like, "Hey, your audio sucks," or uh, <laughs> you know, something like that. But no, just I don't know how to talk. So I, I suppose that's an emergency. <laughs> Only if you smell toast well, while that's going on. I, I do hear that that is the precursor to, uh, what is it? What's the thing where you smell toast? It's a real it's a real thing. There's like a synapse that fires in your brain when something's wrong and you smell toast. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember exactly what it is. So this is not the show for your medical advice. This is the show for your rookie advice. Let's get to it. We can do this. Yes. So Trevor Lawrence, they brought in some weapons for him. ETN should be back this year. New coaching staff. How do we feel about the outlook for Trevor Lawrence? Is is he going to rebound, or did Urban Meyer ruin him moving forward? Chase, I'll defer to you for this first one. All right, so they brought in an excellent, excellent coaching staff over there for Trevor Lawrence to kind of take over. Doug Peterson um, brought in some studs, and a lot of people are down on Trevor Lawrence to an extent, while people that drafted him aren't really taking a chance on you know moving him right now. So you have people that are hoping that people get low on Trevor Lawrence. But the reality of the situation is there's no way that Trevor Lawrence could be any worse than what he was last year. He has the physical skills. He has the mental capacity to be able to run an offense. And now they're adding some wide receivers. Now these wide receivers aren't great. Like Christian Kirk, what could he do? You have Zay Jones, who couldn't you know find his way onto a franchise long-term his entire career. How, how many years has it been now? Has Zay Jones been out five years or so? Five, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now you have a, a guy who – you know, couldn't find his way onto a roster or at least a a starting gig at any point. And then who else do they have? I mean, Chenault, who's been somewhat of a failure thus far. Don't forget about Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, who can't catch a ball. I mean, he's going to create more stress. He's going to have Trevor Lawrence having gray hairs by the time he hits like 24 years old. From the oh, no, not those beautiful locks. The beautiful locks are going to be great. It's going to be looking like Richard Greer out here, you know, like with the long, beautiful (laughs) hair, like. Is Fabio, does he have gray hair now? I think I saw a picture of him with gray hair. Uh, I don't know, and I don't want to know. If that's the case, I don't want to know and just stop talking about it right now. (laughs) (laughs) He's always going to be a blonde-haired behemoth to me. So, I mean, we have Trevor Lawrence who could be turning gray due to Evan Ingram and and the drops that could be had. 
I still think that Trevor Lawrence is in a better situation than what he was last year, regardless. And that's without the draft capital they could spend on offensive weapons. That's not even mentioning the fact that they have Brandon Scherf over there and that they could end up expanding on the run game. I mean, there are so many different levels. Oh, the defense could end up being significantly improved. I believe they signed the, the leading tackler in the league from Atlanta this past year. You know, maybe they don't have as many blown plays and that they can actually put them in decent field positions. I mean, you're talking about a kid who has been winning his entire life, just went to the worst possible situation that any rookie quarterback has been in that I could even imagine. I mean, I, I cannot imagine a worst case scenario for a rookie quarterback. And there's been some really bad ones out there. So I like Trevor Lawrence moving forward. I think he's going to be a stud. And I think that we can only you know see him go up from here. I like what you said, uh, especially about the Brandon Scherf signing, which I think is going under the radar a little bit. I agree. The weapons, the actual weapons that he has to throw to, eh, may be improved, maybe not. I think Travis Etienne coming back is going to be a bigger impact than Christian Kirk signing there personally. But we do also have to look at, like, Trevor Lawrence threw no touchdowns last year. And I don't know if that was a Trevor Lawrence issue, if that was a personnel issue, or if that was an Urban Meyer and company issue. But he only threw 12 touchdowns. Jameis Winston only played in seven games and threw for 14. Trevor Simeon, you remember him? Also a New Orleans quarterback for six games. He threw 11, just one fewer than Trevor Lawrence did. Obviously, New Orleans is a better system there, and I'm not anticipating him to go whole hog and throw 35 touchdowns, but that number has to, has to, has to increase this year, so that'll be nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with everything you said there. All right, next, let's talk about Zach Wilson of the New York Jets fame. Didn't, did not look good last year. Let's be honest. He, he did not look good. I know everything looked rosy in the preseason. Everyone was all gung-ho, and then once the regular season started, just did not look comfortable there in, in the pocket uh, and in that offense. Hopefully they're making some moves. They're moving in the right direction, I feel like. But again, um, you know, I just I don't know how to feel about him moving forward. He's a starter, so obviously, you know, he'll have some value for you, especially in the Superflex League. But do we see improvement coming from him this year? Or is he not as good as people thought and the Jets kind of wasted that high pick on him? First of all, are you suggesting that preseason games don't matter? Because that's what, what it sounded like you said. And I not am ready not saying any such thing. Is that what he was okay. saying? Okay. I, that's what I was afraid of, and I just didn't want this podcast to go there. No, so. I was I was just making I was just making it clear that in the preseason he played extremely well, and then regular season the wheels fell off. Okay. That that's One, all I was saying. All fantasy leagues should include the preseason as part of the actual uh, games. I think I've always said that, and I'll say that to my grave. This isn't the first time I've said that, certainly. Uh, Zach Wilson, though, just the only thing I want to mention seriously about Zach Wilson is every stat, every metric is terrible with Zach Wilson. Every single one of them, there's not a good one that I can pick out of the bunch. He's worse in the league in bad throw percentage, on-target percentage, naturally, completion percentage, passer rating. But if there's any saving grace, it's that, well, the dude was constantly being attacked. Like, he was under pressure more than any other QB. Uh, he was sacked more times per game than Joe Burrow was. And so if they can clean that up, if they can clean that up, then it has to be better. I mean, it's what Chase said about Trevor Lawrence. We saw his worst, basically. Well, we saw Zach Wilson's worst as well. I just don't, I'm not as confident that it's going to get significantly improved. Are you, Chase? I actually am. I'm I, I'm very confident that it's going to be improved. I mean, we already see the Jets dumping into the the offensive line. You know, they have to get some of their homegrown talent, the guys they drafted. You know, they, they got to get them up and moving, right? But 
the bigger thing that I saw was Zach Wilson continued to progress. And that's something that you want to see in your rookie quarterbacks. Like if a rookie quarterback keeps doing the same thing over and over again, like you have, you're, you have no chance. And that's kind of what we saw in like games like went through. When did he get injured? What was it like week nine or something on those lines? Uh, it, it was sometime in the middle of the season. He ended up getting hurt and then he came back. But before he came back, Mike White came in. Mike White knew how to run this offense despite being a rookie quarterback, right? So he utilized the running back, he utilized these short yardage completions. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson came back, and then you saw the same thing that he was doing before he got injured. And you're like, you just saw how to be successful in this offense. You just saw how to operate this offense the right way. Pass it off to your, to your running backs. Use the short yardage completions. You know, and so we didn't see that. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like week 14 or 15, it kind of clicked, right? And he started taking off running, and he started increasing his completion percentage. And he started doing the things that it took to get the first downs and to move the offense. And although his numbers were not great uh, in the pat in the in the final what three or four weeks of the season, they were still decent, I believe, in three of the final four matchups. So it wasn't great, like I said, but it was decent, especially from fantasy purposes because he was running more often. However, the bigger thing that I look at is his connection with Corey Davis last year. Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember when Corey Davis was in the game? Like, were they brunch pals? Is that what you're getting at? Like, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup level? Okay. No, no, it was something that was more important. It was preseason. And, you know, like like what we talked about, how every preseason should be considered something more significant than what it is. But uh, he completed, I think he targeted, like, Corey Davis on, like, 12 of the 14 routes run. And he completed every pass. And it was like, you know, magic was in the air. And then all of a sudden the season starts and Corey Davis gets hurt. It was a week one or the final week. It was something bizarre where he got hurt early on in the season. And all of a sudden Zach Wilson fell apart. So what if that magical connection, right, gets relit? What if they have some sort of a connection or they bring in a real wide receiver, you know, to actually play the wide receiver position? Because guess what? You're throwing to Braxton Berrios, a injured Jamison Crowder. I mean, Elijah Moore was wide receiver one in the time that he was healthy for all the five games. Like, you have a quarterback who can actually be relevant if he has the receiving options. And don't forget, Zach Wilson had the highest completion rate in his final season of passes or 30 or more yards down the field for any quarterback at the college level in the past 10 years. So you take that, you couple that with the fact that the offense that's being run over there under Robert Sala and the 49ers offense they brought over, you couple that with the fact that you had Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019-2020, they had the highest completion rate for quarterbacks of over 20 yards. And you say, hey, this offense is built. They just have to be able to run the ball first. They have to be able to, to take the short passes when they need them. He just needs to learn how to run the system. And once he does, he's still a kid. Once he does, I think that we could, you know, the sky's the limit for, for Zach Wilson in this offense. But if he doesn't get how to run the system, might as well just throw it all away. So give him give him time to throw downfield and let those accurate passes fling to potentially with this improved O line and Elijah Moore getting back there and getting healthy. I was terrified for a second you were going to say that Corey Davis was an elite wide receiver, and then we would have had to pull you off the show just like that. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, you know, if they draft Drake London or somebody good that actually has some height that can make some eye connection with Zach Wilson, we're good. But Zach Wilson has to have a lot of things go right. But if if everything goes right. And this, I mean, we're talking about a top five potential dynasty quarterback. If everything goes right, Jake, don't don't quote me on that. Don't don't be like, oh, Chase nope. said that that he can be a top.
top five quarterback. Nope. But everything we're, 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 we're snipping it. Don't, we're don't snipping this clip it out. <laughs> clip it out. But clip out the part where you tell us us not to clip it. Yeah, Delete that course. part of it. We're just going to keep that little tight. I purposely seconds. did not breathe throughout that that sense. So you guys will have a very difficult time clipping it. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about one more quarterback here, and that is Justin Fields. We all know Matt Nagy, offensive genius, did nothing of the sort there in Chicago. Uh, he was probably as detrimental to his quarterback as Urban Meyer was to Trevor Lawrence last year. Let's be honest. I mean, we saw some flashes. The weeks that he actually allowed his uh, quarter uh, offensive coordinator to call plays, we actually saw improvement in that offense. And then he went back to calling plays, and the offense took another dump. So I think the tools are there for him. He just needs a better supporting cast. Obviously, they got a new coaching staff there, which I'm very excited about for fantasy purposes, not for real NFL purposes. Let's be honest here. NFC North rival. But um, I, I think uh, things are definitely going to look up for Fields this year. It's unfortunate he's got to learn a new offensive system this year, but I think he's a smart kid and will have no issues uh, picking that up. Uh, what say you, Chase? You know that Zach Wilson actually had more fantasy points per game last year than Justin Fields. Just saying. That's pretty bad, though, right? <laughs> They're both uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so can, first off, can either one of you guys spell, uh, what's his name, Matt Eberfus? Nope. I don't even know if that's how you say it <laughs> without having to look it up. Nope. I, I still, I don't nope. even know if you, I said it right. Is it Eberfus? 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 We might I, never know. We might never know. I, I actually found out. Uh, the general manager for the Giants name, I found this out back a few months ago, but it's spelled S-H-O-E-N, but you say it Shane. So that blew my mind. Wow. Oh, I would never know that. Yeah, so it's showing is what everybody's been saying, but I looked it up a few times because I wanted to make sure I pronounced it right, and it literally says pronounced as Shane. Like, so, anyway. Wow. You should tweet at him and tell him that you know that, and I bet it would go a long way. <laughs> he might have a position open in his front office if you know how to pronounce his name. I could also just be taking advice from people on Google, which isn't always the best advice. So <laughs> What? The internet's wrong? That's crazy. Uh, every once in a while it might be. So Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields. <laughs> he's, uh, he's in a situation where, like, hey, they're going to run the ball a ton, and I don't really know what to expect. I really don't. Uh, I thought I was, I felt kind of disappointed in the hiring. I was hoping that they would get somebody that, you know, had more of an offensive connection to a running quarterback type thing, and, and we didn't get that. So I think Justin Fields is the biggest mystery amongst any quarterback in the NFL going into 2022. And we see that. We see that projected. We see its uh, result. We see the results in the, the ADPs when you do mock drafts and stuff. You'll see him going like the third round of a Superflex in some mocks, and you'll see him going the sixth round in others. And it's like, damn, like you really have to pay attention to what your league mates think about this player. And if you're somebody that's shaky, you know, and you don't, you're not sure what to expect, try and offer an upgrade. You know, try and go out there and grab a, a top-tier quarterback and do Justin Fields Plus and just see if somebody bites because – I am not confident whatsoever that we could go and say, hey, Justin Fields will ever be a top eight, top seven quarterback for multiple seasons in a row. And yet, like um, even two seasons in a row. I mean, we could see him do it from one season, right? Like he could have an insane year where he gets some talent in the wide receiver position. He runs the ball a ton. You know, he, he gets up there. But what's to say that, that he doesn't get hurt while he's rushing? What's to say that he even knows how to take hits because he didn't take a ton of hits in college when he did? It's a lot smaller guys that were able to get around the edge that he didn't see coming. 
that were able to hit him and not put a ton of weight on him. So he pretty much just broke tackles while in the pocket. I was talking to, oh, who was it the other day? Anyways, they, they showed me how bad Malik Willis is at rushing ability compared to sack percentage. Like essentially, like if, if you are good at rushing, you shouldn't be getting sacked a whole ton. And Justin Fields was there, but the main reason was because he was able to shed so many sacks in the backfield because his thighs are built like in tree trunks, right? So he was getting hit and he wasn't going down because he was so thick. But, you know, that thick boy, that ain't going to work in, in the NFL. You're going to be seeing 290-pound guys hauling you, and eventually it's going to take a toll on you. So I'm in the view that, hey, I want Justin Fields because I want him to have that blow-up year or that blow-up, you know, game, like, stretch. And then I want to be able to sell him for a quarterback that I feel safer with. Because I, although I think he is a good quarterback, I think that he struggles to read blitzes, which is evident in his, you know, sack percentages and his hit percentages and his pressure uh, percentages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also because I don't know if I believe in this offense. And I'm a big system guy. I love systems. I love fitting in certain personnel and certain systems. And I don't know what to expect with this system. So I want him on my roster, but I don't know that I want to hold him if he has a blow-up game. I get that. And they mm -hmm. added some good thing. I mean, they added Lucas Patrick, which could be very helpful to a guy like Justin Fields. More so, dare I say, than Byron Pringle. You know, that big glorious offseason signing that they made after losing Allen Robinson. Not that Allen Robinson was the Allen Robinson last year. But yeah, this whole idea of Ephraflus, Ephraimus, Ephraimus. For <laughs> Jost, uh, adding these playmakers, we have to actually give him people to throw to besides Darnell Mooney. So, uh, and Cole Komet, I mean, all due respect, but you need something else there. So we'll see what they do in the draft. I'll be very curious to see what kind of wide receiver depth they add in the draft. And maybe that will sway me one way or the other. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about basically run or 40 yards down the field throws from Justin Fields without any in between. Mm hmm. All right, I think we should move on to running backs here since we spent a good chunk of the show now on, on quarterbacks. Can I say so. one quick thing about Davis Mills and then we'll move on, I swear to God, but I just really wanted to bring this up because I okay. thought it was fantastic. Davis Mills, you know the guy, long neck, plays for the Texans. He had four of his 11 starts where he threw for at least 300 yards. I love With Davis his Mills. only receiver being Brandon Cooks. He had as many 300-yard games, again, only played 11, as all of the other rookie quarterbacks combined. I just wanted to put that out because Davis Mills deserves a little bit more respect. And yeah. did he even have Brandon Cooks for all of his rookie games? I don't think he did towards the end of the season. I think been... might, Cooks might have been out a couple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that he only had like Nico Collins for, for a little stretch there. So, I mean, yeah. you're talking about a guy with tremendous upside, and although I don't like the organization a ton. Right? Like, I don't like what they're doing a ton. They still end up having, like, they have a little bit of a good thing going for them right now after we saw, uh, what's his name, trade away all of their draft picks and their entire future and their mm -hmm. best wide receiver. I mean, how do you dismantle a franchise like that unless you know that you're going to get fired? And that, that was what, that's what, that is what, what had happened. So, mm -hmm. oh my God, I love Davis Mills and I think that he could be a stud. I think he could, uh, let me clarify stud, Kirk Cousins esque. I think he could be like a Kirk Cousins level player, which is, you know, high end wide receiver good. two, low end quarterback one at, at your best. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Perpetually uh, undervalued and you can get him late in your drafts and just perform well for you. Like there is nothing wrong with that. No shame in it. It's pronounced uh, sh show him. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jake, you're always here for me. I love it. All right. Let's move on to running backs. Um, we're not going to talk about the, the big three that were drafted early. Um, I want to talk about a duo of running backs to start with here, and that's Trey Sermon 
and Elijah Mitchell. The two running backs from whoa, our our our, our chat just got blah bombed here. Holy man! <laughs> oh Woo. wow! All time scripts without wow. just hey, 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 I'm sorry. If you, guys, just... if you guys want to check this out, make sure you go to YouTube <laughs> and check out Drinking and Fantasy. Oh my god! Wow. Like this is awesome. YouTube can see this. online strips without clothing. If yes. you click on that, surely don't not harmful them. length. Don't tell them what it is. <laughs> well, no, that's how you lure. Go to YouTube. You know? Go to YouTube.com and check us out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So I'm sorry, I got, again, distracted with the chat. And this time I think it was legitimately a, a distraction. Uh, but uh, yeah, that San Francisco backfield. Elijah Mitchell was obviously the much better player for San Francisco this last year. Trey Sermon had the higher draft capital, but we know that uh, Shanahan there, kind of like Pete Carroll, doesn't care about draft capital. He damned with it. I want the best player on the field regardless. How do we feel about these two players? Is it going to be like what we saw this last year? I know we got rid of um, Mostert, so that kind of clears up the backfield a little bit there. But do we see Mitchell keeping that kind of lead dog role, or do you think Sermon gets a second chance? Jake, start with you. Oh, oh, uh, I hate this because I have a predetermined, um, let's say, not hatred, that's too strong of a word, avoidance? Of backfields like this, where I understand the rationale of where there was injuries in the past that led to this sort of carousel in San Francisco's backfield. So, you know, Raheem Mostert, as we mentioned off the team, he would start and he would get the job and then he would do great for four games and then he would get injured and then it was next man up. And sometimes that man just took over for the entire season and sometimes it went back and forth. It's all injury based. So... I get the rationale for why I shouldn't avoid them, but yet I want to keep avoiding them because I'm terrified that Elijah Mitchell is not going to be the guy for the entirety of the season. But even if he just starts for the first half of the season, you're going to be fucking thrilled with him because he's he averaged 87 and a half rushing yards last year in those games where he got thrown into the mix. And if he stays the guy, then great, he should get a lot of run. But I am worried, too, about Trey Lance coming in and shifting the dynamic of this offense overall, him taking away some of those rushes, potentially. And so, uh, I don't know, I I hate it. And I'm not going to be drafting him where his ADP is going to be, which is going to be inside the top 15 to 18 running backs for redraft, and I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Chase, I, I love how Angie came into to YouTube to see what's happening. <laughs> Poor Angie, uh, <laughs> she found out real quick. So uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell gets hurt too often for me to invest in. If and it's weird because I don't mind taking a shot on like CMC or Barkley or any of those guys, right? But if I have an injury prone quote unquote, <laughs> I, I love your comment. If I have an injury prone quote unquote. A back end type guy. I really don't care to draft them, to be honest. Like an Elijah Mitchell type player doesn't intrigue me, intrigue me nearly as much because although he offers significant upside, I think that I could find a handcuff or something on those lines that might be a little more reliable, such as an AJ Dillon or an Alexander Madison that might give me just as much upside, but a bigger play if something would happen. So I, I know that sounds kind of weird in terms of like, oh, well, something has to happen. Well, something has to happen for him not to get hurt. So they might end up starting the same amount of games, you know, next year as, you know, as each other. So I don't know. I, I'm going to stay away from this offense similar to Jake Tribridge. And this is going to be something where, like, I would much rather draft the cheapest one available, which right now looks like Jeff Wilson Jr. 
Ooh, Jeff Ooh. Wilson, a name we haven't brought up much in this podcast. I don't know why. Uh, I do like the idea that, like, they're going to ride Jeff Wilson until he's 40 years old. He's going to continue to make appearances on their active roster until he decides he's done. And I got to respect that. Mm-hmm. So basically what, what I'm hearing from you is, from you both, no Elijah Mitchell, too expensive for his cost, and then Trey Sermon's just dead. Yeah. I'm out on Trey Sermon 1,000%. Oh, Can I see if shocked. you want to throw a, a third-round pick and just, because why the fuck not, <clears throat> yeah, then great. Because yeah. that would be the cheapest, essentially. My, my dog mm-hmm. just got home. Um, so, no, I uh, I was shocked when they drafted Trey Sermon. And what it sounds like is the team or the coaches didn't really want him, but the organization did because he was such a good value. So they're like, oh, they'll fit him in. I mean, he's such a good value at this point because we had him graded at this prospect. But the thing is, is he doesn't fit the offensive system. So when they selected him, I was like, that doesn't make any sense because he's not fast enough to be able to beat defenders to the edge. Sure, he's quick enough, but he needs that, that top end speed to be able to run the wide zone run, or to be able to operate the wide zone run scheme. It doesn't make any sense why they drafted him. And then there was a story behind the scenes that said, hey, the coaches didn't want him. It was the organization that said, hey, he's too good of a talent. We'll figure out a way to get him in. So that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did not know that. That makes so much more sense now. Who knew that GM meddling could get in the way of a well-run scheme? Crazy. <laughs> Kyle Take Shanahan. Lessons, New York. Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's move back to the Jets. Uh, way more Jets talk than I thought we were going to have this evening, let's be honest. Just the uh, right but, amount. But Michael Carter, he started to find his groove there later in the season. I am personally uh, trying to buy him wherever I can or acquire him this offseason wherever I can. I think he's in line to be a very solid high-end RB2. I really do. I, I like what I saw from him towards the end of the season. Uh, I was really disappointed in my redraft league when I uh, gave up on him so early on and, and dropped him. But um, Chase, I'm going to throw it to you first to talk about Michael Carter some more. So Michael Carter is interesting because, like we talked about with Zach Wilson, like he has to understand how to run the system. And everything has to go right for Zach Wilson to be successful, which means he has to use a running back in the passing game, which means that Michael Carter has to be successful, which means that I think that all this is going to come to fruition because I just had Zach Wilson's back a second ago. So that's great and all. But I'm very concerned that they end up drafting a guy similar to Elijah Mitchell, except for better. Ooh. Yeah. How, so, how much better are we talking about here? Like a guy who can actually catch a ball? No, no, no. We're talking about a guy who can take over in first and second downs. And although he can't catch a ball, they might not utilize him in the receiving game because he didn't do it in college. And I'm referring, of course, to Kenneth Walker, who would be the perfect fit, who has the speed, the burst, and the acceleration to be able to beat the defenders to the edge, something that Michael Carter is decent at, but he doesn't necessarily possess or it's not a strong suit. So we could be looking at a time split. Once again, you know, a la San Francisco 49ers, as to where we see Zach, or we see, excuse me, Kenneth Walker on first and second down, and then we see Michael Carter on third down, and Michael Carter becomes just the receiving back. So whether it's Michael Carter, you know, or I'm sorry, whether it's Kenneth Walker, or it becomes another back that, you know, might have that, that size, speed element to his game. Well, I should just say speed element to his game. I'm a little bit concerned that, that somehow they find a way to take away that first and second down work for Michael Carter. However, if they don't, it's wheels up for Michael Carter. So if I have Michael Carter, I'm holding on to him. I'm not trading him for anything. If I don't have Michael Carter, I might extend a second round, you know, esque or maybe a late first, you know, just to test the waters. If I need a running back, if I need a running back, a first round pick. If I don't, I'll throw out a second, see what happens. That's likely not going to happen. So 
uh, I'm not probably going to acquire him if I don't have him already. Mm-hmm. In, in in startups, I'll just take him where he's going because I think it's a good value. Mm-hmm. Jake? I, I am really interested in what you said about, so if they bring in a first and second down back, and then Michael Carter gets relegated to third down role, even if Zach Wilson, and maybe especially if Zach Wilson doesn't figure it all out, I'm still interested in Michael Carter because... Granted, he had a 14-target game that is going to skew these numbers like crazy. (laughs) But, but the dude, just for that stretch that he was there and healthy, you know, on pace for 94 targets. Like, of course I'm interested in that. But in seriousness, I'm interested in that if they don't really upgrade their receiving options to what I would consider to be a real upgrade. Because then the third down back is still going to have a very useful role. He's not going to be worth a first round rookie pick in that situation. To your point, Chase, like I wouldn't be offering up even a back end first if I was really confident that's how it's going to work out. But since I'm not confident and I don't know enough about this incoming running back class, uh, I I do it. I do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just a little bit nervous as to where his value actually lies. Like you know where he could actually, I guess. I, I'm working on an article right now as to where like it has these values that are set up that we create in fantasy football, right? Like as to where a player lies and how we constantly place players at their ceilings because we want to see them exceed because we want to see them do better because we think that they can do better. However, that doesn't, you know, actually happen. And Thomas Tipple, you guys can go check him out over there at Thomas Tipple FF. He just actually sent me an article that's coming out for another company. I just edited it for him uh, today and yesterday just to help him out because he's a buddy of mine. But he talked about how Amari Cooper has been overdrafted every single year since coming into the league and has actually never hit uh, his projection. He came close one year where he hit the ADP that he was supposed to hit. Majorly had to do with his boom and bust ratio. But, uh, you know, it's like, hey, is Michael Carter, even if he, like, if he exceeds his expectations, for this year, will he ever exceed his expectations in dynasty leagues? Will he ever end up exceeding his expectations regularly? Because if he exceeds it this year, what will we say that he could do in the next few years? He's never going to be a top well back, in my opinion. Maybe he becomes an mm-hmm. Austin Eckler, and you know, I'm just lying to myself. But I feel like that's where we're going to set the expectations if he has a very good year this year. It's like, oh, he's the next Austin Eckler. Like, dude, he got like eight touchdowns this year. He'd get 20 next year. Let's do it. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that just feels like what's going to happen. And I... You know, so sure, if you want to grab now before you could have that blow up, that's great. But I just never see, I always see us over projecting. It's like the opposite Chris Carson effect, right? Mm-hmm. Where we always, yeah. always said, hey, Chris Carson is never going to end up being as good as we think he is. And he is every single year. I love that. Two love things. That One, uh, I'm sure Dustin was big fan of how you presented Amari Cooper because we've had a lot mm-hmm. of conversations on this podcast. I'm more pro Cooper than he's ever been. But number two, Chase, where would people find that article if they wanted to once that is up? I have no idea which website he's going to up for. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just asked me, to, he asked me to edit it for. It might be going on to my website. I don't even know. I have no idea. It could be on fantasyintervention.com, but it could be on triplesmack.com. Okay. How about no, this one that you're no writing? Place. Oh, so the one that I'm writing, it, it's a long-term one. I'm, I'm going to be doing probably a four-month study on it. It's going to turn into a, a multitude of, of projects that I have going on, but it's it's going to end up in a place that I can't talk about yet, so I can't give you that one either. Uh, but... God damn it. Why do I even bother with these types of professional <laughs> transitions that I'm making? how about this? Here? Go follow Thomas Tipple FF over there on Twitter. There 
go follow Thomas Tipple FF, and it's actually a very good article. And he's somebody that, hey, the guy wasn't the best writer. I'm not going to lie. When he first came on, <laughs> in fact, took a long time to edit his pieces. But he's getting to the point now where it's like, dude, like this is actually a really good piece, man. And, and you can see like when you get to work with people, right, who want to succeed and who want to do better and they're willing to take the criticism and they're willing to learn and become better because of it like and you watch them grow as people it's like it just gets you stoked it makes you want to get behind them so you know i'm, I'm behind this kid i think he's going to do excellent things in this community and you guys should go check him out thomas tipple ff thomas is awesome can attest absolutely all right let's dustin, talk dustin i love you too by the way oh thank you <laughs> not as much as thomas but well, he does like it because i don't <laughs> write articles that's why that's exactly why yeah i don't, I don't go that a- extra mile here but uh, let's talk one more running back. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson had some hype going into the season. Uh, we saw some flashes from him. That New England backfield, I just don't know what to think of it. it, it it's a typical New England backfield, let's, let's be honest. Um, thoughts on Stevenson? Uh, Chase, why don't you lead us off this time? So there are certain players where I watch them in college. I check out their metrics. I don't think are very impressive in most cases. And then I, I see them at the professional level. And there's something that clicks with these players. I saw in the preseason, you know, we talked about how much the preseason matters. I saw in the preseason for Devin Singletary, um, you know, the guy came out and he balled and like he looked for contact. You saw this little dude running out and he wasn't very fast or anything, but he's running towards, you know, these, these, these secondary cornerbacks putting his head down and trying to tackle them while he has the ball in his hands. Right. And it's like, I don't like set Devin Singletary's college tape. I didn't like his, his metrics, but this guy's fun to watch. And then you start to root for him. Right. And like, so then Ramon Stevenson comes out. I didn't like his metrics. I didn't like his college tape that much. It was okay. And then you see him go out there and he wasn't all that impressive, but then something clicked for him. And I want to say it clicked right around the bills Patriots game. It might've been right before that, but I, I remember specifically the game where it stood and they had to run the ball a hundred times. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put my bias aside at this point because I like watching this guy play. And I think that he has the drive that it takes to be successful. Obviously, we don't see what happens behind the scenes. We don't actually know these guys. But you have this emotional connection to a player. And although I'm not acquiring them anywhere, right, because I know better than that. I know better than to trust my heart because <laughs> when you trust your heart with fantasy football, it's just it's a really bad thing, guys. So <laughs> um, I, I don't want to trust my heart on that aspect. But I do believe that this guy can actually play, that he is a, a decent player in the NFL. And I think that we could see his starting role. It just the Patriots offense. You just don't want anything to do with the Patriots offense. Like it's just, if that leads to pain too. Talk mm-hmm. about you know leave with your heart. And you have Ramondre Street Stevenson, who I didn't like any of his stuff, and I just had this connection to him during that little span that he had. And then you have the Patriots offense, and you can never love the Patriots offense when it comes to running backs. So, uh, you know, I think he's a good player. Hopefully, he earns a role. He might have one or two good seasons, but after that, I just you know I, I don't want to take a chance on it. Mm-hmm. Jake. I think Damian Harris is the better fantasy running back. And so because of that and the Belichick, Bellatrix, I'm out. Well, I mean, neither of these guys, Harris or Stevenson, are going to be getting targets in that offense. They didn't last year without James White. And now James White is set to return, maybe, hopefully, potentially. So that completely takes the floor out on them. And so it's, it's avoidance. If you if one of them magically falls to you at the end of a draft, cool. But otherwise, I can't get myself to, to be there. Mm-hmm. Yep, I am in the same boat. I just can't trust anything in that backfield. Let's move on. Wide receivers here. I want to start with Kadarius Tony. Again, we saw flashes out of him. That offense was not very good last year. New offensive um, system. They've got 
hopefully some healthy weapons. You know, hopefully the the rest of the core group there is healthy uh, with, you know, Saquon being injured part of the season. They had the who's who of wide receivers getting injured every other week there. But in the limited action we saw him, he did flash and, and he showed us some really good things, I thought. So where do you see him this next year? Would you say... Is it, is it feasible he's a solid wide receiver three for your team? Does he have upside as a wide receiver two? I, I, I don't know what to think with this new offensive system coming in and if we're going to see any sort of progression from Daniel Jones. Jake, hit us first. Kadarius Tony's ceiling is what we want LaVisca Chenault to be, and his floor is what LaVisca Chenault actually is. And so for that, it's really terrifying. If you look at the two games from last year where Kadarius Tony was out there, he was doing his thing, and he actually got peppered with targets. So he hit like double-digit targets. There's one game where he gets 13 targets, and he destroys. And it's when everybody gets really excited, 189 yards coming out, right, against Dallas and World Florida. And then flash forward. Now it's Tampa Bay, so it's a completely different defense, and I respect it, but it's 12-target game, 40 yards. It's literally the mountain, and then it's the ditch. And I don't know which is more realistic at this point, because I have been burned by LaVisca Chenault, and I have that image in my head of Kadarius Tony transforming into that. But my hope, if we're going to leave with our heart here, Chase, then my hope is that Kadarius Tony definitely outshines. He's much closer to that first version than he is to the second. But he's uh, he's a goddamn coin flip for me. Chase? I, I love Young Joker. Young Joker. It's a boss, man. So Young Joker is somebody that it, it made the entire analytical community, community, right? Which I like analytics. I like film. I like them both. I like to use my film and then check the analytics to see, hey, is this guy actually faster? So you just beaten a, a slower, you know, victim essentially. And Young Joker made the entire analytical community flip, right? What do they call that when like they adjust and then they, they say, oh, we're so-and-so. It's an, an Aryan word. It's like, it's not, contra- it's, it's something. If I remember it, I will put it in the comments on Twitter of this, this show. Cause I, I know I'll remember it as soon as we get off. But essentially they're like, oh, you should never draft Kadarius Tony. He was a late breakout. He didn't produce in, in college, you know, yada, yada. And it's like, well, I mean, he was quarterback that converted to wide receiver that was, by the way, scouted as a quarterback or an athletic player, whatever the hell they call it. Meanwhile, you have this dude who was breaking ankles with Kyle Pitts on the field and seeing more double coverages than what Kyle Pitts was seeing because they had to contain him and use bracketed coverage on him. Meanwhile, the, the number one corner went outside on Kyle Pitts. This guy's beating double coverages and shaking everybody possible. Major concern, obviously. I mean, Young Joker has issues with his, you know, attitude. We saw all these different dramatic type things that you would see from like an Antonio Brown in his rookie year in the offseason, which is a major, major concern. But I love Young Joker. I think that he could absolutely crush, he could absolutely crush it and melt minds. Uh, you know, moving into the fantasy season, if he can get his shit together. Now, Brian Dable has to be in control of this. I think it was a big issue with that entire coaching staff over there for the Giants. Like, I mean, they wanted to control it, right? They wanted to be the, the bosses of that team. They wanted everybody to to do what they said was going to happen. I think Brian Dable's a little bit more loose. I mean, you've seen the practice, practices with Josh Allen, how they let their guys dance around, how they let their guys have fun. You know, you've never heard a single concern out of this entire coaching tree over there for the Bills as to any kind of disciplinarian actions or, or issues with that. I mean, 
they let the guys be themselves, but they're role models, right? So I'm hoping that's what happens over there with young Joka. I hope that he finds a role model. He gives up his rap career and he focuses on football <laughs> moving forward. So I was that, going to say, listeners who might be confused, young Joka is the rap alias of one Kadarius <laughs> Tony, which Chase <laughs> is determined to exclusively call him by. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I love Kadarius Tony, man. He was my one of my favorite rookies coming out. I think he was my rookie wide receiver three last season. Uh, behind, I had yeah, he was right in front of Bont Smith. So Kadarius Tony was my T Higgins of 2022. Ooh, nice, I like that. I didn't okay. like the Giants landing spot, but it's all good. Yeah, should be better moving forward. Yep. Here's hoping because he is electric uh, to watch. All right, um, let's see who do I want to talk about next. Um, Let's let's say Rashad Bateman here of the Baltimore Ravens. Coming in, people were loving the landing spot, more or less. But what we saw was injury happened. And then we saw the Marquise Brown fourth year breakout happen, kind of, um, where he actually produced. So how do we feel about his fantasy prospects moving forward? I'm going to take this really quickly, just for a quick blurb, Chase, and I'm going to throw it to you immediately. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love Rashad Bateman. I've been in love with Rashad Bateman since he had his mini breakout halfway through the season, and I started trying to trade for him everywhere halfway through the year, understanding that Marquise Hollywood Brown was putting together a much better fantasy season. I'm still trying to shoehorn Bateman into every fantasy trade if I'm making one right now because Mark Andrews benefited from the backups coming in for Lamar Jackson. Marquise Hollywood Brown could still very well be their leading receiver, and I think that's fine. Rashad Bateman is going to turn into maybe a Deshaun Jackson-esque Tyler Lockett kind of boom-bust play. Not saying he's the exact same player, but for fantasy, I'm going to take those winning weeks that I am pretty confident he's going to give you, supposing Lamar Jackson is there and doing his thing. I'm taking Ronda more of Rashad Bateman. Oh, gross. Where's the button? Where's the eject button? Dustin. I'm not going to do it, Jake. All right. So, Chase, would you care to explain why? Or are you just going to leave it at that? I kind of want to leave it at that just to shake off a little bit, but... <laughs> If you guys go check it out over there at trophysmack.com, or I'm sorry, youtube.com slash trophysmack, Jacob Sanderson and I actually went through a debate. Uh, it'll be in the first section of there as to why, so I don't have to elaborate, just because it is, you know, it's very subjective, right? Like, we have a team that has a bunch of vacated targets. I know vacated targets don't exist, but they do exist, because guess what? You have to pass to somebody. Um, you have Rashad Bateman, who is in an offense that I think will pass a little bit more than what they did, you know, even with Lamar Jackson getting hurt last year. I still think they're going to increase their passing attempts. And you got a ton of red zone opportunities whatnot, but I just don't know if the volume is going to be there. Meanwhile, Rondo Moore, the volume has to be there. And if we talk about James Conner, right, James Conner could end up getting hurt. Uh, he's spent the majority of his career hurt, and although I'm rooting for him, we can't argue against, you know, the history of, of his career thus far. And, if Rondé Moore sees an uptick in passing opportunities, which I believe he will see, I mean, we're talking about a monster. The bigger part is there's no way that he's just going to be a scheme fit. Sure, he had to run route running, right? Like, he had to work on his route running. He had to work on his, you know, route tree especially. And he had to work with Kyler Murray on to get in the same chemistry because guess what? These guys are both at, like, a 5'6 height spectrum for eye contact, or maybe 5'5 five, five height spectrum. Like, they might be, you know, 5'8. But when it comes to height spectrum, they're actually, like, the 5'5 five, five range. So... 
you have to be able to, to know the routes. You have to be able to get your receivers open. You guys, you have to have chemistry. And it's going to take more than just, you know, half off season in order to accumulate that. So I, I think that Ronda Moore, moving forward, uh, should be more involved in the Christian Kirk routes, which is what he is more skilled at than Christian Kirk will ever be because he has more speed. He has more burst off the line. I just, I don't see how Ronda Moore can fail. And so... Yes, I spent a lot of time talking about Ronda Moore instead of Rashad Bateman. I just don't know how Rashad Bateman is going to see the same level of volume, which is what you want to see in fantasy. That's your pivot. And now we got to talk about two rookies at once by you mentioning Ronda Moore. I'm not going to lie, by the way. I started to get scared that you were about, when you talked about James Conner's injury, that you were about to anoint Ronda Moore the next Debo Samuel, and I was about oh, to get real. <laughs> they tried to use him that way. And and although I think he could be successful in that role, he's still a little bit too small to, to do it. Like, Debo Samuel's Debo. Like, he's Debo as hell. Like, he's built like you know they're, they're talking about Tyree Kill and although Tyree Kill I saw a picture of him recently he's a lot bigger than I thought he was in terms of like volume I still don't want the Dolphins to use Tyree Kill in that way because he's going to end up getting crushed by a guy that's three times his size if they get these in that way Debo has a different you know way about him and what is he like 220 or so at least it mm-hmm. feels that way Jake do you want to rebuttal with, with the Rondell no. Moore? No? Okay. No, no. I think what we should do instead of a rebuttal is a simple beer bet that we will follow up on at the end of the 2022 season. Straight up more fantasy points per game. Let's put a minimum in there. What do you say? Six, seven games just to make it at Ten. least something. Ten. Okay, perfect. I'm down with that. Minimum 10 games. Points per game fantasy. We're doing PPR full, half. What's your preference? Cool. I'll take either. Full PPR, Rashad Bateman versus Rondale Moore, 2022. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's put a pin in this date uh, after the season. We'll have an anniversary show of this bet. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to take uh, Chase aside here. Sorry, Jake. Really? But I'm not sorry. Right. Yeah. You both you both get to uh, pay off this bet in succession. That'll be fun for you. Uh, you can choreograph it. <laughs> All right. Who else do we want to talk about here that we let's, can get myself into trouble with? With you guys? Let's do one more. And I want to talk about Amon Ra because he had yeah, a hell of a great fantasy season. Uh, I don't think anyone can say they saw that level of production coming. I know all the talk was how he was the best St. Brown uh, brother out there, uh, most talented St. Brown brother. But we've been burned in the past. And I don't think we expected a whole lot from that offense. Now, I know with Detroit, Swift was injured for chunks of the season. Hawkinson was uh, injured for chunks of the season. Quintus Cephas out for the year. They really didn't have much else as far as receiving people on their roster other than Amon Ra. He was healthy. So he obviously showed he has the skill. He has the talent to be take take the volume and be essentially that number one wide receiver on the team. I do think that Detroit is going to address this even more so than what they did in, in free agency here. Uh, but do we expect him to continue this upward trajectory and finishing how he did this last season uh, with the pace he was at? Or is this just more of a function of the injuries on the team? Jake, I'm I'm really like hard set on my way. So I want to hear your opinion first because I'm going in. Oh, oh, oh. my. Um Thank you for the alert of that, by the way. I do appreciate that, certainly. So I have time to loosen things up. Amon Ross St. Brown is, you mentioned, the beneficiary of uh, nothing else on the team happening around him. And that can be, it can be looked at both ways. There's nobody else to throw to. Now, all of the coverage goes to Amon Ross St. Brown. 
or there's nobody else to throw to, so Jared Goff has to funnel him targets. I do lean on the side that you mentioned they're going to address it more in free or more than they did in free agency with the ride receiving core potentially. DJ Chark to me isn't a huge threat to Amon Ross St. Brown, but if they start loading up in the draft, I am concerned. I don't think Quintez Cephas coming back. I, maybe it's the Wisconsin homer in me that wants to believe in him. I don't see Amon Ross St. Brown as being this locked and loaded uber talented wide receiver 12 no matter what or even wide receiver 15 no matter what i think there's too much that could go wrong for him so i'm probably out at his draft cost too for a redraft we'll see what it looks like when it rolls around but i'm probably out Mm -hmm. okay chase you're you're ready you're locked and loaded he won't even do it. He won't even unmute himself. No, no, he just doesn't he even want to get into to it. unmute himself. I think I might have. <laughs> I, I wrote that. You scared I him. Really, I, really just said, I was like, I just, I agree with Jake. I was going to leave Ooh. it at that. Oh, and then I got shit. real quiet. Wow. No, but right. no, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, it's it's ignorant to sit there and think that Jared Goff can sport multiple wide receivers in this offense. You know, they obviously want to operate through Swift as they always have, you know, the running back situation over there with the offensive coordinator and the tight ends with Hawkinson. Meanwhile, they obviously want to invest in the wide receiver position because they go out and they add DJ Chark with, uh, with Quintess Cephas still on the roster. And then they have their wide receivers coach saying, hey, we actually need a playmaker. We need to at least add one major wide receiver in the free agency, and we need to draft two guys that are both playmakers. So when your wide receiver coach says that you're we you suck, like why is that not evidence enough? Why is Amon Ross St. Brown still being thought of as as a savior for fantasy? It makes no sense to me. Like it's it's befuddling like watching these basketball drafts and seeing him go. God, he was going as soon as the, the third, fourth, fifth round in some of these Ugh. basketball drafts for single quarterback leagues. And it's it's maddening. It, it makes no sense to me. <clears throat> sure, he was a great prospect in his junior year or his second last year and then his final season in college he kind of you know just left us hanging wanted us left us wanting more and then he comes to the nfl nobody else is available they're playing prevent defense on him and he puts up some yardage in the last few games against some bad defenses or some teams that were pointing him out like it doesn't matter like he's not a good player for your fantasy teams as to where you want to draft him that early like he's not going to overcome <clears throat> the quarterback play by jared goff with the offensive system that they want to run over there in Detroit, or the other talent that they have on the team. The NFL did not think highly of him. And sure, the NFL drops the ball from time to time. Is Amon Ra a good player? Sure. He's a wide receiver three at best, and yet he's getting drafted as a mid-range wide receiver two, and that's way too much. Yeah. Zero complaints. Yeah. We're all in agreement on this one. Let's make yeah. a beer bet about it anyways. Just we're all gonna be on one side of it. Nobody will have to pay anything off. It'll be it'll be real cool. Well we'll have to pay it all all off if we're all wrong. <laughs> fair. That's fair. All right. Um do we want to talk about tight ends? Is let, let, let me Just let one. me Okay. I was gonna That's say if there's someone you guys want to talk about, we will do that. But otherwise, it's the tight ends, you know, outside of pits. Yes. Uh, there's so, actually multiple tight ends that I think are no. better than any of these year's tight ends, by the way. But Come. the number one is Pat Fryerman. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Glad you mentioned Pat. That's the, the guy I wanted to talk about. We can move past Kyle Pitts. There's whatever. It's Kyle, even a tight Kyle. end. It's even a tight end. It doesn't matter. But Pat Fryermuth is, and that's where we should start. He's so a real I'm tight end. He's a band's tight end. Like, like with the previous guy, with Amon Ra, I, I have some very severe takes on Pat, and I'm curious to see if they align with you. So what do you think about Pat here going forward? So he earns targets downfield from a quarterback who doesn't throw downfield. 
you know, he was able to secure targets in the red zone. And contrary to popular belief, hey, targets are earned in the end zone from tight ends in certain systems because guess what? That's how they operate. Like we, we talk about how like, you know, oh, touchdowns don't matter. Touchdowns regress. Like, you know, but yeah, guess what? Touchdowns don't regress for tight ends in Kevin Stancy's system, right? Touchdowns don't regress for tight ends in certain systems, including Matt Canada. So we can sit there and we can look at certain opportunities for certain players and how, hey, he might not see the same red zone opportunities as, as last year. But Pat Fryermuth is not one of those guys. Pat Fryermuth is going to continue his dominance in the red zone because this offense is going to be much better under Mitch Trubisky. And when we look at tight ends under Mitch Trubisky, we see a lot of success when they're healthy. I love, I love the situation for Pat Fryermuth moving forward. I love the system that he's in. I love the quarterback that he has. I like the fact that he has a quarterback who could end up dominating, or I'm sorry, a running back who could end up dominating red zone touches up until they hit third and four. You know, and all of a sudden they, they need a conversion. And guess who's there? It's not going to be Chase Claypool. He doesn't win at jump balls. He's a deep threat receiver who doesn't know how to control his body. It's not going to be Deontay Johnson, who is way too small to command targets inside the red zone. It's going to be Patty Fryermuth, right, who is going to dominate the red zone over there. We're going to see him with 10 touchdowns this season, uh, you know, and we're going to see him with the 10 targets too. So I, I love Patty Fryermuth. He's going to take over the Juju Smith-Schuster role as well. Let's go. Wheels up, man. Wheels up. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, movement that we call Pat Fryermuth henceforth Fryer Tuck. As a nickname, I've, I've just always wanted that for him. And if it means that he does that weird, like, shaving of the head thing that Tebow did a, a few years back, then I'm all on board, by the way. I, I just, anybody? No? Okay, fine. Whatever. Fuck you guys. I like Pat Fryermuth, regardless of whether you're on board with the nickname or not, because I still believe if Fryermuth had come out in any other, any other draft class that didn't have Kyle Pitts, he would have been talked about incessantly incessantly but instead Kyle Pitts overshadowed him which is why I'm glad that we're not really devoting so much time to him right now Fryermuth is a tri- more maybe more traditional tight end but exactly what you're talking about with the red zone targets one Juju Smith-Schuster is officially gone now he's a Kansas City Chief so we want to talk about clarity in the hierarchy of the depth chart we have it now there's very little chance that they bring in somebody who is going to be better than that onto their depth chart now So I think his role is very secure. And those touchdowns, I think he had seven or eight last year. Great. Tight ends, I endorse and understand that we're basically just banking on touchdowns when we get past the top three or four tight ends for fantasy football. Well, great. Then give me the guy who's going to have that security of touchdowns in Pat Fryermuth and let all those dead zone mid-round tight ends fade away. I will take Pat 10 out of 10 times. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, you know, if there wasn't a bigger riser in my tight end rankings than Pat, uh, Pat Fryermuth, I mean, outside of Brevin Jordan, I, I don't know who else could even be close. You like the Brevster? You big fan? So Hunter Long and Brevin Jordan were kind of on the same platform, but then they tagged Kaseki for another year. I don't understand why. We'll save that for another podcast. But Brevin Jordan, man, is brilliant. And he showed his ability towards the tail end of the season on multiple different occasions. I mean, this guy's a stud. And I know that we say this every single year about Texans tight ends, right? How many tight ends have we gone through with the Texans? Still holding out for Kahale Waring over here. I know. It's <laughs> insane, right? But, like, this guy actually went on the field to prove that, that he could produce. Like, a lot of the other metrics that we've looked at with Texans tight ends are like, oh, he has the ability. To pre- well, Revan Jordan actually did. And 
it was, I believe, Davis Mills, unfortunately, who missed him on multiple different occasions in the red zone where he was supposed to be the second read. Davis Mills freaked out because he was a rookie quarterback, didn't make the read, and missed Revan Jordan. He didn't miss him on the next couple games, I believe. And, and I think moving forward, Revan Jordan is somebody that should be considered as a candidate for Twitter's hype tight end of the year. You know, like the Irv Smiths and, and all those other guys that never end up hitting but have a chance to. I think that Brevin Jordan is that guy for me this year. I really do. Uh, you know, Irv Smith Jr. is going to end up being, but Bre- uh, Brevin Jordan's going to be right behind him. Jake? All right. I'm not allowed to talk about tight ends that other people <laughs> might like because I tend to taint them more often than not when we get into sleeper tight end. I can't. No, every you single sleeper tight end. You said his name. I call him the Brevster, so I don't think it counts. I think that's I actually got around that's it That's not his official nickname. I don't know. I haven't looked it up on Pro Football Reference, but I should. And if it's there, we have to take that out uh, just for the sole focus of him producing. I won't talk about it. I, I applaud you for talking about it. Johnny Smith, the next Johnny Smith. We oh, don't, don't talk say about Johnny Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're not there. Too Give soon. us a year, maybe two. <laughs> CJ, here's uh, Dalton Schultz, the next one. Jeez. Who's uh, Ian uh, for the Panthers? Who am I thinking of? Ian, Ian Thomas. Uh, Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas. Yeah, he's another yeah. one of those guys. Again, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed. Yeah, after that team came into town, I saw what they did at Thaddeus Moss. I was like, nope. Ian Thomas is done. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, any other players we or I did not bring up that either of you want to talk about here as far as the rookies go that you think need that that two minutes of, of uh, spotlight? Elijah Moore is going to be really good. Um, yep. I am missing somebody. Let me actually go to the show sheet that Jake put a ton of time into. So much work. Um, Chris Evans is going to be good. Kenneth Gainwell is super undervalued. It's kind of ridiculous how undervalued Kenneth Gainwell is. I know that he didn't get the shot when Miles Sanders left, but I think that had a lot more to do with him not being prepared and that they didn't want him to to have that primary role yet just because he wasn't ready. Hmm. Um, I think that Dwayne Estridge is really funny that you put in this show. And <laughs> um, now, come on now. He's a second round draft pick with Tyler Lockett potentially being moved. Even DK Metcalf, they're talking about rebuilding. I'm not saying it's going to look good. You said you have anything to say. Okay, God damn it. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to post all my comments on Twitter later. <laughs> um, I also think that um, there's one more. Hold on. I uh, God. It is. Oh, I think Cleo Herbert can end up taking the starting role um, as soon as late this year if something happens Ooh. to Montgomery. Oh, if something I mean, happens, yeah. if he gets injured again, that kind of thing. Yeah, like the, oh God, who was it? The Pete Gar- or Lou Gehrig situation in Wally Pip, where Wally Pip ended up getting injured, fake injured because he didn't want to play in a doubleheader, you know, type thing. And, and, you know, Dave Montgomery is not a good running back anyway, so maybe he gets shut down one week and he's like, oh, I don't want to play against a really tough team next week. I want my stats to look good. So then all of a sudden you have Will Herbert that steps in, <laughs> sees his starting role, and it's just a god at the running back position. I mean, nah, I'm halfway kidding with that. That's more of my Dave Montgomery hate. But uh, I think that Cleo like Herbert that. is something that is worth rostering towards the tail end of your drafts and that you should make a move for it because if something does happen, this is an offense that wants to run. We mm-hmm. saw this offense in Indianapolis. So I'm, I'm totally kidding, by the way, about the whole taking over the job thing. But I am serious about going out and making some sort of uh, late second round pick because there are no running backs in this class. So if somebody has Cleo Herbert along with like maybe a Chuba Hubbard and Kenneth Gainwell and a bunch of other AJ Dillon type backups and he's just a depth piece, maybe you can get him for a late second round pick and I think it'd be worth it. 
especially if you're the Dave Montgomery owner, but not limited to. Mm-hmm. AJ yeah. Dillon over Khalil Herbert. I don't know why you even put them in the same sentence there. I'm a little talking, upset about it. Uh, okay, AJ Dillon is actually my running back 11. So. Oh, okay. Ooh. We're good. <laughs> We're set. <laughs> Two spots ahead of Aaron Jones. Woo. I like it. Yes. And I think that's about it. We covered everybody. No, I, I like that call about, uh, Herbert. I mean, he did flash last year when Montgomery was out and New coaching staff. They're not beholden to any player. Montgomery, I think, will probably be playing out his contract here and then leaving in the offseason. So they'll still have Herbert on his rookie contract, and I think he does end up with that lead role next year. All right, Justin. So now we go through the whole show, and all the guys we talked about, we get your opinion on every single player we talked about, right? <laughs> nope. That is not my job as the host. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to hear me just drone on for the next hour. Uh, no, and I don't think anybody wants to hear that. So We're going to have a director's cut that is put out. You have to yeah, right. find on YouTube, version. Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football. It's going to be like a three-hour episode, but all of his are going to be set aside for the very end. He has to take a shot after every single one that he Ooh. does. So it kind of gets a little sloppy towards the end. Just saying. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. This is fun. I had a blast. Oh, no. Thank I'm you so for uh, you jumping on. on. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's always fun uh, cutting it up with you here and, and chatting. Uh, always welcome on the show, my friend. Right, Not always. There's limitations. <laughs> Let's be frank. Like, if you're going to come on, like, again, if you're going to come on for my throne of co-hosts here and try and weasel your way in every single week, then we're going to have some problems. But, like, I'll see you guys next week. That's what I just said. Few weeks, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Revan Jordan's going to be an amazing tight end this year. How about that? All right, How about so that? I'm... I just got my stank all over him. So really, I dude? hope it was worth it. Yeah, really? I hope it was worth it, Chase. Dude, like, you guys yeah. actually let me talk about some of these deeper players. Shane and Jacob, they just leave the show. <laughs> Show when I start talking about Dom people's show. <laughs> <laughs> they literally just said it to me last week. They left me and the guest solo because they didn't want to talk about Dom people's Jones. Like, come on. Uh, I feel special. Uh, well, that's you what we're are special. <laughs> yeah. So before we get out of here, uh, Chase, why don't you tell people where they can find you and what you're about? You guys can find me in my room, uh, hanging out, just pretty much doing all this backstage stuff now. <laughs> just really nowhere else to find. No, I'm just kidding. You guys can go check us out over there at Fantasy Football Intervention or FantasyIntervention.com. You guys can go check us out over there at Twitter, join our circle underscore. Uh, but the main place y'all can find us right now is on YouTube. Y'all can go and support us on YouTube, and that would do wonders. YouTube.com slash Fantasy Intervention. Go hit subscribe. Watch a couple videos. Uh, you know, some of our main shows are a little bit longer, so I would advise going to the chop ups because they might, yeah, they might just be a little bit easier to, to retain and to take into account. Plus, you might not get as bored with us just joking Canadians the whole time. Sorry if you're Canadian, but now go check us out over there at youtube.com slash fantasy intervention. You have Jacob, Ch- Shane, and myself. We have tomorrow Daddy Soam and Joe Pisquia on with us. Uh, last week was Wayne McFarland, who was last. I mean, it's just, it's fun shows every single Wednesday night, normally at 9, but tomorrow night at 7 Eastern time if you'll enjoy us live. Awesome. Love it. Definitely go check that out, folks. Um, you can find my co-host at Jay Trowbridge on Twitter. You can find me at FFDustyDog. And you can find our podcast at Drinking Fantasy. Please go out, give us a subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we do appreciate it. If you want to see our beautiful faces every week, if you're not tuning in right now live, Subscribe to us, hit the bell on YouTube, find us there. You'll get notified whenever we go live, which is what you really want. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football.
Go subscribe. <laughs>